0: So tonight, again, we're, we're continuing on in this series that we started last week called My Life Changed When. And last week, we did something a little bit different. So leading up to Easter, all of our campuses besides us were doing this series. So we very seldom do this, but we're all on the same page doing the same series. We weren't able to join the other campuses because we hadn't officially launched yet. And so we got a chance to hear some of the stories um, of just how God used people's life change events to, to bring to and glory to himself, like really, really cool stuff. And I said, man, we want to be a part of that too. And so we're starting this series, or uh, we're, we're continuing this series. Last week we talked about, uh, we did a video, which we never do this, we very seldom do this, but we had a video. All of our campuses kicked off the series this way of our senior pastor, Jeff Bogue, and he talked about story, the power of our story. Like each of us has a story to share, right? Everybody loves hearing a story because we're people of stories, right? So each of us has a story to share that we can relate to. Like, I can listen to somebody's story, and I can relate to big chunks of it. Other people can listen to your story, and they can relate to it. And your story, we said this last week, your story is not just your story. Like, your story is also God's story, because it's God working in your life, right? And we said, it's not just your story and God's story, but it's a story that you should share with other people, because God can work through your story as other people are related in it, relating to it, to bring glory to himself. And so we challenged you last week, and I lay down the challenge again this week, to share your story. There's something that happens, like like our faith goes to a different level when we go public with it. And so we said, what if if we as a campus um, thought about stories, so each of us thought about stories of life change. My life changed when God did this in my life. Like we thought about this. We put our phone or webcam or whatever it is, video camera, in front of us, and we told the story, 60 to 90 seconds, not crazy. People don't watch videos longer than that, right? 60 to 90 seconds, and then upload it to social media, like to go public. Uh, and uh, w- if you hashtag it, my life changed when, the little pound sign, number sign, hashtag my life changed Win," then we can gather those together, and we created a little website, a little micro site called my life changed Wind. Dot org that we've been uploading videos of just people from Grace Church, so our, all of our campuses of Grace Church to it, and we want to get some Barberton, some more Barberton people up there, so I really want to challenge you to think through this, pray through this, like how many people in your life know your story? How many people, like how many of your Facebook friends, probably a lot of us have lots of Facebook friends, how many of your Facebook friends know what God has done in your life? And so, we're saying let's challenge each other to go do this, to go public with it. On the back of your program, you have that website, mylifechangedwhen.org. I really challenge you to look at that, check it out. That'll give you kind of an idea of what we're shooting for. So tonight, we're continuing on in this, and we're talking about how my life changed when I chose peace. So, uh, I don't know how many years ago, five, six years ago, maybe seven years ago, I had a guy in my life that, uh, he was part of a ministry that I was a part of that was struggling. Like, he just, like, life was hard for him. He had some very real needs. He was going through some hard things, and he was a young believer at the time. And so, he needed help, and so, um, I I spent a lot of time with him. Like, I invested with, uh, invested in him in uh, some pretty significant ways, and somewhere along the way, i found out that much of what he told me was a lie I don't know if you've had much interaction with people um, that are like a pathological liar and that's what this guy was and he was really good at it and I was deceived by him in fact I found out I I eventually found out that he was telling some lies about me as well and my wife and uh, it was like this dagger in my heart and then turned it was really, really a hard time in my life because I trusted him. And I was betrayed, like I was deeply betrayed. I had another time in my life when uh, I came home from work one day. I don't know, this was probably three years ago, three or four years ago. And I had like a bad day. Sometimes we have bad days, right? Even in ministry, sometimes we have bad days. So I had a bad day. I was stressed. I was in a bad mood. I was cranky. And my son was, uh, I think, about five-ish at that time. And he was just acting like a five-year-old boy does. Like, he wasn't being a bad boy. But he was just acting like a five-year-old boy. And he did something, probably something kind of annoying. And I snapped at him. And I yelled at him. And I, uh, I hurt his feelings pretty good I think I said go up to your room and so he started crying and he went up to his room and when I saw his tears I realized what I had done you know like it wasn't his fault I was in a bad mood that day and so I know what I had to do any of you parents relate to this I had to go upstairs and say hey buddy I'm sorry that I did that you didn't do anything wrong I snapped at you and I shouldn't have done that. I had a bad day at work and I need to ask for your forgiveness. I apologize to you and I need to ask for your forgiveness. And, uh, and he did. And I think we were probably wrestling within five minutes and him punching me or something. I had another time, last one, when I had a couple, um, come to me who they were married and they were going through hard stuff in their marriage. And they just, they weren't, they weren't connecting. They were just button heads with each other other. I remember we were in the lobby um, talking and you can see that just something was up. I said, why don't you just come in? Like, why don't you just come in and let's talk and let me just facilitate a discussion between you guys. Like, let me just help you understand each other and talk through some of this and let's just see what happens. And so to their credit, they did. They came in and uh, and we began to talk. I think we met three, four, five times together. And uh, it was really cool how God, I don't know if you if you've been kind of, the peacemaker role, how God um, allowed me to be part of some reconciliation and understanding in their marriage. It's cool. I don't know how much conflict you've dealt with in your life. If you're people, and I suspect you are, and you have relationships with other people, I'd imagine that you too have dealt with a lot of conflict, like a lot of hard things in your life because life's full of it. How do you respond in conflict? Like when something hard happens, when something unideal happens, whether you're the offended, like I was, with my friend who betrayed me, who lied to me, the offender, like I was with my son when I hurt him, or the peacemaker, like I was with a couple who were going through hard times and I was able to jump into it. Like, how do you respond when you're in those situations? Well, tonight, I want to talk about it. And I want to warn you, like, tonight might be hard, because uh, some of us have some conflict and some hard things, some pain, some betrayal that we've been holding on to for a long time. And tonight, I want to challenge you a little bit in it. Because this is how God challenges us, okay? So tonight we're going to talk about being people who choose peace and how God changes us, how God changes our life when we're people who choose peace. So there's a book in the Bible that kind of is framed around this guy being on the verge of a life change moment if he chooses peace. It's actually, there's three main people in the story and they all have super important roles in this peacemaking process. And so I want us to be able to look at it. And I think as we look at these three pieces, People, you're going to be able to pull from their lives some specific scenarios in your own life that you'll be able to learn something from. So, if you got your Bibles, flip them open to the book of Philemon. Philemon, how many sermons you heard preached on Philemon? Did you know that was a book in the Bible? Four. Yeah, it's very small. It's uh, it's in the New Testament toward the end of the Bible. It's right before the book of Hebrews. By the way, if you don't have a Bible of your own, man, we would love for you to have a Bible. Like A lot of people use their phones and tablets. That's totally cool. But if you, do, if you don't have a printed Bible and you want one, we've got a table full of them back there. We would love for you to have that. In the church Bibles, it's page 967. So this is a letter by a guy named Paul. This is a guy who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. And he wrote this letter, Philemon, to a guy named Paul. Philemon, Very good, very good, Sophie. Yeah, so uh, that's not a common name that we use today, but this is a short little letter, one chapter of, of Paul writing to a guy named Philemon. And before we get into it, as you're flipping there, I want to give you a little bit of a disclaimer. So the backdrop of this story is something that we would look, step back and go, that is distasteful to us. The backdrop of this story is slavery. Okay, So in the Bible, in Bible times, when this stuff was written, slavery was a very active part of that culture. And it's a little different than like the slavery that we would understand today um, in our country. It it, it wasn't great, I'll be honest with you. But it was a little bit more like an employee-employer relationship. But some people have a hard time with this. And I understand that the Bible does not explicitly condemn slavery. It does not. But it also doesn't explicitly condone slavery. It doesn't do either of those things. The Bible does encourage slaves to gain their freedom if they're able to. It's not like stay in it if you're, if you're able to get out of it. Um, but for slaves and slave owners, what the Bible does is it challenges people as their hearts are changed to change the way they live their roles, whether you're a slave owner or whether you're a slave. And so it was, it was very countercultural. They were encouraged when you come to know Jesus and you're a slave or you're a slave owner, you need to start treating each other with respect. Respect and dignity, which many times did not happen, and so it was very countercultural. And it was like changing this this uh, establishment of slavery from the inside out. And so the Bible is not condoning slavery. It's not what it's about. In fact, the gospel was paramount in ending slavery in our country and Europe. There's so much talk in the Bible about the equality of people, right? Like we're all equal in God's eyes. But I don't want you to get hung up on the slavery part here, okay? But I want you to look deeper at what Paul is, ta- is challenging this slave owner, Philemon, to, uh, to do with his runaway slave, a guy named Onesimus. So let's look at it. Philemon, uh, let's start in verse 4. Here we go. I always thank my God. So this is Paul writing to Philemon. I always thank my God as I remember you, Philemon, in my prayers because I hear about your love for all His holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So Paul starts out and he's encouraging Philemon. He's saying how grateful he is. What an! encouragement Philemon is to his life. Verse 8, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold, in order you to do what you ought to do, Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So Paul's actually writing this letter from prison. Okay, He is in prison, in chains, as he writes this short little letter to Philemon. He's in prison for the sake of the gospel because he was a follower of Jesus. So an old man, now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, verse 10, that I appeal to you from my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, that's key, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Countercultural, guys. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me, finally, I'm in a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. And he says this, I love this, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confidence of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. I want to stop there. Okay, so here's the situation. We've got three people here, right? We've got Philemon, we've got Onesimus, and we've got Paul. Philemon is the wealthy slave owner. Philemon, interestingly, was part of the church at Colossae. Okay, we have a book in the New Testament called Colossians. That's to the church in Colossae. Uh, He was part of that church and very likely came to know the Lord. Paul actually didn't plant that church. That was one of the churches he did not plant. But he came to know the Lord probably through one of Paul's disciples, a guy named Epaphras, or potentially even Paul himself. Okay, he's, Paul seems to have this very close relationship with him. So he's a devoted follower of Jesus. He's probably a pretty wealthy dude. He's got slaves, and he's a fo- and he's a Christ follower. Then you have a guy named Onesimus. Onesimus initially was Philemon's slave. So Philemon, you got slave owner. Onesimus, you got slave. He probably stole from Philemon. Probably not a very good dude. He ran away from Philemon. You get the, you get the picture that when he got the chance to, he just left, like thinking about just himself. He was not a Christ follower. Onesimus was not a Christ follower at the time. He's kind of your, 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 your classic bum. Right? That's that's kinda who Philemon or who uh, Onesimus was. Like if you saw Onesimus on the street, you probably wouldn't like him. You'd probably be like, Man, that dude is lazy, that dude does not care, right? That's who he was. However, when he ran away He ran into the apostle Paul, who is the third person in the story. So Philemon, slave owner, Onesimus, slave, and you have Paul. Paul, again, was in jail for his faith in Christ. And he actually writes this letter from jail. And somehow, in some way, as Onesimus runs away, he runs into Paul in jail. And Paul shares the gospel with Onesimus. And Onesimus, this runaway slave, this, this kind of class A bum, becomes a follower of Jesus. He becomes a devoted follower of Jesus. Jesus and what happens is he's changed he goes from being basically worthless to Philemon to being very very valuable to Paul we don't know the specifics there but Paul says he's super valuable to him and so Paul is writing to Philemon and he asks him to forgive Onesimus and accept him back again but not as a slave anymore not as a slave but instead as a brother in Christ. And so Philemon, like because Onesimus ran away from him, he was a slave. Philemon could basically do whatever he wanted to him. Like he could do whatever he wanted. He could beat him, he could torture him, he could even kill him. But what Paul was asking him to do was to choose peace. Paul was asking him to forgive him. So now I want you to to kind of step into the story, okay? Because in Philemon and Onesimus and Paul, you find three distinct roles, three distinct seats that show up in conflict. The offended, the offender, and the peacemaker. And so I want to look at these a little bit deeper. So you have the offended. You have Philemon. He's the one who's offended. He's the one who's taken advantage of. He's been abused a little bit. He's been abandoned he's been betrayed think about that in your own life have you ever been the person who's been offended I bet you have you have been the person who's been betrayed or it feels like you kind of opened yourself up to somebody and instead of them opening themselves up to you it's like they take a knife and then they stick it in you and then they turn what did that feel like I think about that Think about a time in your life when you were betrayed by somebody, when you were deeply hurt by somebody. How did you respond in that situation? How do you wish you had responded in that situation? That's one of these seats, the offended. Then we have another seat, the offender, Onesimus, was in that seat. You're the one who hurt somebody else. Maybe you acted Selfish. Maybe, you know, you were stressed. You didn't even realize that you were hurting somebody. Or maybe you did realize it and you chose to do it anyway. You know, maybe, maybe you're embarrassed when you think about that. Man, I hurt that person. I am embarrassed of what I did to that person. Maybe, maybe you don't want to admit that you screwed up. And I've had to say sorry so many times in my life for times that I have screwed up. When I have offended somebody, sometimes in less significant ways, sometimes in more significant ways. And I think since I've been a follower of Jesus, I've had to do it more than before I was a follower of Jesus. Because I think I realize it more now than I used to realize it. Like, when I came to Christ, I don't know if you experienced this, when I came to Christ, I, I think I became aware of how many people I had hurt in my life. Like I became aware of the pain that my life, that my reactions, my actions have caused other people. And I had to apologize to a lot of people. I remember uh, making phone calls. I remember writing letters to people that I needed to apologize to. You know, sometimes it was a situation where it was like partly my fault and partly the other person's fault. You know, which, And admitting your, your fault in that and not knowing if they're going to admit theirs is really hard, right? How do you respond when you're the offender? Like, how do you respond? Sometimes this is harder for us to recognize, right? How do you respond when you are the one who has hurt somebody else? What do you do? How do you wish that you would respond? So we have the offended, we have the offender, and then we have the peacemaker. Paul was the peacemaker in our story. Think about a situation, maybe with family members where you have people that aren't getting along well. Have you ever stepped into that situation to try to help? Maybe, maybe it's with you know, close friends who are having a falling out or, or neighbors who don't like each other. We've actually had that situation a few times. Neighbors don't like each other. What do you do in those situations? Like, do you, do you step out and help others work through their conflict? Or do you not? And go, man, that's their problem. That's not my problem. I'm not the one who's who's dealing with that. Let them let them do what they need to do. It's fine. I got my own issues. I got my own stuff that I got to work through. Depending on what happens in our lives, we find ourselves many times in one of those three, one of those three seats. The offender, the offended, or the peacemaker. Paul, who's the peacemaker here uh, with Philemon and Onesimus, it's actually really interesting. He's been in, in the Bible, we have other instances where he's in some of the other seats. Like sometimes he's the offender. You think about how Paul, before he was a follower of Jesus, how he persecuted the church. Like he literally went home to home, finding people that were Christians, exposing them so they would be persecuted and potentially killed. Think about the baggage that that dude could have carried. He, he could very well have been responsible for the death of many people because of his choices. He was the offender. We have other times that Paul was the offended. It's interesting. If you go in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, Paul's, uh, Paul and a guy named Barnabas are doing these journeys, these missionary journeys, and they had some other people with them. One of the guys' name is Mark, John Mark. It's the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And some on one of these journeys, something happened where Mark left. Mark abandoned them. I don't know if he was scared or persecution or what it was, but he abandoned them. And Paul was ticked off. And so eventually he comes back and he wants to be with them again. And Paul's like, "Uh uh-uh, I am not taking him with me. He abandoned us. And the guy that he was with, Barnabas, was like, no, 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 we should give him another chance. Paul's like, we're not giving him another chance. And they disagreed so much. You read this at the end of Acts chapter 15. They disagreed so much that they went their separate ways. Paul went with a guy named Silas and brought more people to know Jesus. And Barnabas believed in Mark. It's actually really interesting. At the end of this letter that we're reading, I don't think it's a, com- a coincidence, at the end of this letter, Paul references Mark because apparently they had made up with each other. It's really fascinating. See, in, in those situations, and I would guess many others in Paul's life, he moved toward peace, but he had to choose it, and he did. In a different letter that Paul wrote uh, the, to the Romans, in Romans 12, 18, Paul says this. He says this to them, and I think he says it to us, too. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's what he says. is what he talks about with, with relationships, conflict resolution. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Listen, guys. If you are a follower of Jesus, and and this is hard, okay? If you are a follower of Jesus, it is not okay for you or for me to say things like, I am done with that person. They hurt me so much, I am never talking to them again, and I will never forgive them. It's not okay to say that. It's not okay to say things like, they are dead to me. I hope they rot in hell. I've heard that. It's not okay. If we are followers of Jesus, our responsibility is to choose peace. I want to say that again. If we're followers of Jesus, our responsibility is to choose peace. And sometimes that's hard. In fact, sometimes that's really, really hard. Especially, maybe especially, when we're the ones who have been hurt. But if you follow Christ... Like, if that's, if that's the direction that you have chosen to, to live your life, that I am a Christ follower, then that is the only choice that we have. Because that's how Jesus responded to us. He chose peace with us. I'll talk about that in a second. And when we do that, when we follow him that way, and we become people of peace, we, we, lead, we, get, we get peace in our lives. We don't hold on to the pain anymore, and we get joy. I have a um, friend that I want to show you a video of here in a second. Actually, friend's not a strong enough word. I would say he's a great friend. He's like a brother to me who is part of our campus here who has an incredible story an incredible story. It's not going to do justice. What we're going to the 2 minutes that we're going to show you is not going to do it justice. He has an incredible story, and if anyone that I've ever met has any reason to hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness and not extend peace, it's this guy. But that's not the route that he took. And through choosing peace, God has transformed his life. I want you to check out this video.
1: Hi, my name is Zach, and my life changed uh, when I chose peace. Um, You know, in in my life, I've really only had uh, two people that I ever really counted as as very good friends, Um, and when I was 19 years old, uh, one of them shot and killed my older brother in the kitchen of my apartment, and when I was 25 years old, um, my wife and I were in a church and it was, um, there was a gentleman there mentoring us and teaching my kids Sunday school class that I later found out I had been having an affair with my wife. Um, we eventually got a divorce based on that. Um, two years ago, when I accepted Christ, um, I had a lot of issues um, with trust, uh, with bitterness, um, with quite frankly, just pure hatred. And over about a six month process of Really just praying about it and and giving it over to the Lord. And and when those people entered my mind, um, instead of um, being filled with so much hatred, just just really praying and and trying to give it over to God in the best way that I know how. Um, God has really turned both situations upside down. Uh, The gentleman that shot my brother I was able to reach out to um, through uh, texting and through letters um, with an amazing positive response from him and um, since then my relationship with my ex and her new husband has uh, grown by leaps and bounds um, to the point to where last summer when my wife and my children were baptized, her and her husband and family actually attended the baptism services.
0: pretty amazing story to be honest that's like the tip of the iceberg in Zach's life it was cool to um, be able to be a part of his life as he was walking through that and he would be the first person to tell you that it was not easy it was hard it was really hard for him I was reading an article uh, this, this past week about a guy who, a 93-year-old German man who's on trial right now in Germany. His name's Oskar Groening. He was, uh, in World War II, known as the accountant of Auschwitz. The accountant of Auschwitz. and uh, He was called that because his responsibility, so he was at the death camp in Auschwitz, Poland, and his responsibility there, working with the German Nazis, was to uh, kind of uh, deal with all of the belongings that were taken from the death camp victims that, that came there, including their money, which is how he got the name, the accountant of Auschwitz. And uh, He doesn't deny that he was there. The charges against him was that he helped the Nazi regime benefit economically and he supported the systematic killings. And he doesn't deny that he was there. Um, In fact, he talks about what he experienced there. This article is pretty graphic, but he talked about some of the terrible things I won't, sh- I won't share with you because he wants people to know that what happened there really happened because sometimes people say, oh, no, no, that didn't happen. He said, no, 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 it happened. I saw it happen. He said he didn't do anything wrong, but he saw it happen. Hundreds of thousands of Jews being exterminated, you know, tell these stories, some of them with kids, and I have young kids, and it, it just, it's horrific Absolutely horrific—the atrocities that happened over there. And so I'm reading this article, and I'm thinking about like what God must think, you know? And then, and then I thought, holy moly! I don't know if this is—I'm sure I've had this thought before, but I thought, holy moly! This is one situation that happened, however many years ago—70 years ago, right—in one part of the country. But God doesn't just see that one situation. God in his holiness, in his perfection, in his righteousness, in his goodness, in his love, he sees the totality of every evil thing going on at any point all throughout human history. Behind every closed door that you and I may never see, he sees it all. The killings, the murder, the rape, The perversion, all of that stuff, he sees in its totality. Just imagine what God would feel. And I was thinking about this, and for some reason, uh, this came to mind like a chessboard. Like he could see everything at one point. And I don't think that, you know, we're pawns on a chessboard and God is watching down with us. That's not what I'm saying. But he sees the totality of every evil at one time. And I can't help but wonder, like, how his heart must break. You know, as he sees in this corner this man molesting this child. And I think he must be like, no, don't don't do it. And then and then over here in this corner, he sees this, this person killing, senselessly killing this innocent victim. And how that must make God feel. And in this corner, he sees he sees the student bullying another student in school. And in this corner, he sees somebody cheating on their taxes. He sees all of this at one time and I can't, I can't imagine the pain that a holy, loving God would feel as he sees the totality of all of our evil because if it were me, if I saw that, I would be overcome with it and I would go like this. And I'd wipe it clean. I'd wipe it clean because that's what it deserves. Because you think about all of the evil and you think about this holy, loving God, I would wipe it clean. But God does exactly the opposite of that with us. Instead of wiping us out, He chooses peace. Instead of ending us, He chooses to enter into the mess, to enter into the chaos. To enter into the horror, those dark corners that no one wants him to see, he enters into it and he offers us peace. He sends his son, the the only perfect one, to become one of us to die that we could have peace. And the wrath that God feels, and he does. There's wrath. We don't like to talk about that part of God. But God is a God who experiences wrath and anger. And that wrath that he feels that you and I deserve to have unleashed on us, he unleashes it on his son as he's hanging on the cross. God is the ultimate peacemaker. That that blows my mind. That absolutely blows my mind. And because he did that for offenders like us, sinners like us, as his followers, that is the only option that we have to choose peace. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, he is the one who entered into our mess. He chose peace. He is the ultimate peacemaker. And if we're his followers, that's our only option too. So I want to spend just the last few minutes, the last few minutes, and just get real practical with this. Like, what does this look like? And I want you to think about your life. And I want you to think about your relationships in your life. And I want you to think about what seat you're in. You might be in the seat of the offender, where you have hurt people. You might be in the seat of the offended, where you have been hurt deeply by people. Or you might sit right here in the seat of the peacemaker where God has put relationships in your life that you have a chance to be an agent of reconciliation in? Are there folks in your life, in your relationships, that see you as the offender? Let's talk about the offender first. Are there people that see you as the offender? Think about it. The one who hurt them. Is there any truth to that? Are they right? Like in the quietness of your heart, just you and the Lord, is there any truth to what, to what they're feeling? Have you wronged them? Maybe, maybe you've broken a relationship right now. Like you are the result of that broken relationship. You are the cause of that. Maybe it's partly your fault and maybe it's partly their fault, right? Own up to your fault. Humbly own up to the part that's your responsibility. Maybe you've done something so terrible and you don't think you can ever be forgiven. You might be right. They might not forgive you. They may not choose to forgive you. But you know what? God will see your heart. Like if you seek peace, if you choose peace, that might, they might not forgive you, but God will see your heart in that. Even if the other person isn't ready, it's okay. Be a person of peace. Sometimes it's most appropriate to uh, confess these things just to the Lord. Like when I have hurt somebody deeply, sometimes it can cause more pain if I go to that person. Sometimes it's appropriate to just confess to the Lord. Sometimes it's appropriate to confess to the Lord and to go to that person and ask for their forgiveness. Use wisdom in that. I encourage you to pray a lot about that. So, so that's the offender. There's times when you're the offender. Maybe you sit here and you go, I, I'm the offended. Like, I have been hurt so badly. I open myself up and I feel like I just got stabbed in the heart. You've experienced pain. You've experienced betrayal. Don't pretend like it's not real. Don't pretend like the pain that you're experiencing is not real. Like, I'm tough. It doesn't really hurt me. I don't want to give that person power in my life. They can't hurt me. It's okay. It's okay to admit that you're hurt. In fact, it's healthy to admit that you're hurt. And then once you've acknowledged that, release the person. Release the person. Don't keep drinking the poison of unforgiveness. And it's poison. Sometimes we drink, we drink this poison and we think my unforgiveness is going to kill the other person. It's killing you. Unforgiveness is a bitter drink, and it takes our life away. Move toward peace and forgiving the person who offended you doesn't mean that what they did was okay. That's not what it means. When my kids fight, when Luke does something to Natalie, when he does something bad to Natalie, I say, Luke, you shouldn't have done that. Go apologize to her. And he'll go up and apologize and say, sorry. And she'll go, she used to go, it's okay. And I would say, no, it's not okay. Don't tell him it's okay. It's not okay. You tell him, I forgive you, right? Because that's very different than it's okay. Forgiveness is not saying it's okay. That's not what forgiveness is. It means that you forgive them. It means that you forgive them and you release them the way that God has forgiven you. And forgiving people doesn't necessarily mean that that relationship's going to come back, right? Like sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it shouldn't. Sometimes forgiveness results in a restored relationship. Sometimes it doesn't. But before God, you do everything in your power to be a person of peace. Forgiveness means you're choosing to release that person. I choose to release you. I don't hold this against you anymore. And you may not feel like it. If you talk to Zach, I encourage you if you see him around, talk to him. There's many days he didn't feel like it. He didn't feel like forgiving his ex-wife and this guy who had an affair with her. He didn't feel like forgiving the guy who murdered his brother in his kitchen. But you know what he did when he didn't feel like it? He prayed to the Lord for those people that he wanted to forgive. It's powerful and God was faithful to him, and bringing him healing from that and peace and sometimes, guys, the person that we need to forgive or we need to receive forgiveness from isn 't around anymore they 've died right it 's still possible to receive peace you know we might we might think it 's too late. listen, God sees your heart, and he responds in our lives when we take steps to be people of peace, to move toward peace. So maybe you're the offender. Maybe you're the offended. Or maybe the Lord's calling you to be a peacemaker right now. And this takes a lot of courage. Because you may get it from both sides, right? When you step into a situation where people are butting heads with each other and you're trying to help, it takes courage. Because this person might be angry with you and then this person might be angry with you. But that's what God calls us to do. We're people of peace. That's what he did with us. And it is a powerful, powerful thing when you help people reconcile together. And I'm not talking about meddling in, in people's business, right? I'm not talking about that, being nosy. I'm not talking about, like, with distant acquaintances. I'm talking about people that you're close with, family, friends, close folks with you. Whether you feel it right now or not, Like, we can be people of peace. We can choose peace. As far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on me, we can live at peace. You can't make other people choose it. That's that's on them. That's their responsibility. Sometimes they won't. That's okay. God sees what we do. And guys, listen, I think it starts, I think it starts with us receiving peace from Jesus. Like, I don't know where you're at. Maybe this is where you're at right now. Like you're sitting here and you're going, okay, this makes sense. But I don't know what you're talking about with all of this. Maybe, maybe tonight's the night where you go, I need to experience peace with God. Because I think it starts there. It is so much easier to extend peace to other people when I have received peace for all of the wrong things that I've done. And I have received forgiveness for the totality of my evil. We don't think of ourselves as evil very often. You're evil, and so am I. That's why Jesus came, to help people like us experience peace. And so I challenge you, if that's where you're at tonight, don't, don't walk out of here with questions about Jesus. Come to him. He died for you. The wrath of God the Father was placed on Him at the cross for you. And it's so easy to receive forgiveness. You, you, you commit to Him. Whatever direction you were going, you say, I'm going to stop that and I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to choose Him. And you experience peace and you experience grace. And God changes us. God transforms us. So whatever your situation is, spouses, spouses, children, students, neighbors, grace group members. We've got to be people that choose peace. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's not easy, but that's our only choice. And as you do, I challenge you to document that. I challenge you, don't, don't keep it to yourself. Whether it's video or talking to a friend, share what God is doing inside of you with other people because it will challenge them and it will encourage them in their faith too.